going to ask you to turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 4, and we'll work through verse 36 through chapter 5, verse 11. Acts chapter 4, verses 36 uh, through chapter 5, verse 11. As I shared in the first service, sometimes uh, as we are reading through Scripture, one of the things that you'll that you'll want to do is to look at uh, how the chapters and verses are put together, because sometimes a new chapter doesn't necessarily mean that there's an entirely new story that's taking place. Sometimes uh, they they've been the chapters or verse numbers have been put in in eloquent spots uh, where they're not ideal. And this is one of those uh, instances where what happens at the end of uh, chapter 4 is really a bridge between uh, 4 and 5. It's connected with what is going on in chapter 5. It is connected with chapter 4, but it is is really more connected with what is happening in chapter 5. And that's why I want to put these passages uh, together this morning. So if you would stand with me to honor uh, the reading of the Word of the Lord. And we'll begin at chapter 4, verse uh, 36. Luke begins, Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself. With his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the lamb? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, And Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. Lord, once again, we come to you, and we ask you to do what in our human power cannot happen, and that is to move upon your people by the power of your Spirit, God, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to understand and know what it is that the Spirit would speak to us today. I pray, God, that uh, you would help me to be obedient to your word and only to speak those things, Lord, which are in accordance with your word. 
I pray, Father, that you would break to each one the bread of life, that when we leave among us, there is no lack. And so, God, we invite you here by your presence. You are welcome here, Lord. And we ask you to guide us in this passage of Scripture this morning. We love you. We are thankful for what you have done through the ministry of reading the Scripture, the ministry of song, the ministry of prayer, the ministry of communion, the ministry of giving, and now through the ministry of the preached word. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to thank each of you for uh, being here. Uh, we are evaluating you know, uh, the opportunity for two services. As you know, last week we started 9-11. This week uh, we've agreed to go an additional week for 9-11. We're evaluating that. If you have feedback on that, we welcome you to do that. But what my hope is, I know some of you are here for both services, and what my hope is that you are uh, doing is praying. Uh, pray that uh, throughout this time that God's Word uh, would go forth and that Jesus uh, would be exalted. This message indeed, this passage of Scripture, is a little different than a lot of texts that we would normally preach. If I simply went sort of through the text and kind of was picking out areas that I would like to preach to you, this would not be one of them generally. Uh, I'd probably find someplace else in order to pull from, in order to preach to you or share the word of the Lord to you, uh, because it wouldn't, not really on my agenda to talk about, you know, church members uh, dying in the church because they have not uh, been obedient, not really the, the thing that gets people coming back Sunday after Sunday. Uh, but that said, uh, as we preach through the Word, one of the things that uh, the Lord has come to teach me is the importance of just going through the Word, line upon line, precept upon precept, because it's during those times as we preach the Word to you or teach the Word to you, just kind of walking through Scripture, that uh, we may not, we may share things that we wouldn't otherwise share, and therefore you get the whole counsel of God instead of the things that the preacher likes to preach on. And so that's my hope in this text this morning, that you understand it is a little bit of a different type of message, but in that understanding, all of God's Word is inspired and is profitable for us. So we want to take in God's Word this morning and what He would speak to us. Uh, this, this message series is called A Journey Through Acts. This particular message I've entitled The First Sin. Uh, this is the first sin in the church. It could be called uh, A Tale of Two Spirits because there's two spirits at work uh, in this uh, passage. But this indeed is the first sin of the early church, the first time that we find sin happening in uh, the presence of the early believers gathered together. And that's why it's important for us to start at chapter 4 and verse 36, because it's there that we see what is going on in the church at large. We see uh, in, chapter, in chapter 4, verses 32 and 33, we see what's going on generally in the church, but then Luke gives us insight into what is happening specifically in one person who is part of the church, and that person is uh, Barnabas. And Barnabas, we'll come to learn a lot more about later on 
in the book of Acts, but this is the first time that we are introduced to him. <coughs> and this is one of uh, Luke's uh, techniques that he begins to introduce someone just a little bit and lets us know that this person is going to come back around a little later on and be a person of influence in uh, the gospel and in the sharing of the story of how the gospel went out into the world. And so what we know about Barnabas is that the apostles, he was Joseph, but the apostles named him Barnabas, which Luke tells us is uh, translated son of encouragement. He was a Levite. Levites were those who served uh, within the temple, not necessarily those who were of a priestly class, but served in the various roles uh, within the temple in order to organize and orchestrate uh, worship. Uh, Barnabas was from Cyprus, which is an island in uh, the Mediterranean Sea, about 300 miles or so uh, from Israel, and there was a sizable Jewish population that was there. Barnabas, uh, being from uh, Cyprus, you'll recall from your reading a little later on in the book of Acts, is the one who sort of opens the door for the Apostle Paul to get connected with the other apostles and uh, the church. And as they begin to journey and share the message of the hope of Jesus, Cyprus is the first stop on the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. So Barnabas had some influence over how the gospel got to other people. And I would say that we're influenced today by the work that Barnabas did so many years ago. So as you read through the Bible, we have to be thankful for Barnabas, for his heart for the Lord, for being a person of encouragement, because his background provided an opportunity for him to begin to talk with and work with the Apostle Paul, and then that becomes the first place in Cyprus where the gospel uh, begins uh, to go out into the known world in the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. And so a thought at that point is that our background, the backgrounds that we bring with us when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the background that we bring can often be something that God uses for his glory to further share the message of hope with other people. Your background is not a disqualifier. Uh, as, as, a, as a pastor, oftentimes I have the privilege to sit with people to listen to their stories, maybe stories that Maybe some people aren't necessarily comfortable sharing from a pulpit or, or sharing as a testimony that everyone uh, would uh, be willing to hear, but sometimes in a moment of counsel or in a moment of uh, mutual encouragement, they're willing to share, well, God has used this in my background, or I have done this or been through this type of difficult uh, circumstance or situation. And what I often see in people's life is that the journey in their life, God is able to use, the Holy Spirit is able to use in order to be a blessing to other people, in order to share the message of hope with others who may not have heard, in order to share an opportunity that this happened in my life and God delivered me, or this is my background and God used it in order to bring me out, to be able to make me whole in his presence, to worship him. I have been through 
through these difficult circumstances, and if I've been through these difficult circumstances, you too can get through your challenge and your difficulty. Our backgrounds are often used as an opportunity to share with someone the hope that we have in Jesus. I remember a dear brother who had spent some time in uh, prison. And there was a story behind that imprisonment. And as he would uh, talk about his background, there would be times that he would share it and times that he wouldn't. And often what he would do is pray for God to use it, that testimony at the right moment to be a blessing to someone else. So you don't have to share everything all of the time, but be open to share some of the things some of the time when you are moved on by the Spirit to do so. There's a reason that you've been led through the journey that you have, and it's all for God's glory. What we also see about Barnabas is while he was from Cyprus, while he did have a background that sort of began to open the door of the gospel to go into other lands, is that he found himself in this particular group of believers at this particular time. He had come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he wasn't a bystander. He wasn't someone who was just sort of traveling through, hey, hey, I'm from Cyprus. I'm just sort of passing through Jerusalem. I'm not going to connect. I'm not really going to be part of this body. Barnabas was all in with the believers as they were gathered together at the end of chapter 4. He participated in what they participated in. He was part of that spirit-filled population that was moved on by God's Holy Spirit to be generous towards the work of the Lord. And when he felt the Spirit move on him, he acted in character with the rest of the believers. The Scripture says that he had a tract of land, whether it was in Cyprus or whether it was in Jerusalem, we don't know, but he had a tract of land, and he sold it, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet, which was an activity that we see from verses 32 and 33 and 34 was something that was very widespread in this Spirit-empowered Christian community. And it is because unmerited generosity is part of the character of God. Unmerited generosity is part of God's character. I believe in the spiritual gifts. I believe in learning about your spiritual gifts. I think it's important. But the gifting of giver and the opportunity to give is not limited to someone who scores high on a spiritual inventory. It is to, for all of us to take on the character of God and to be generous. Jesus gave of himself, the Scripture says, in Ephesians 5 and 25. The Bible says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. He gave all that he had. He gave himself up for the gospel to be able to come to you and to me that we would hear and that we would come to saving knowledge of him. This type of generosity should also be our posture towards the work of 
the Lord. The early church was generous. They were generous in giving individually to the community to be distributed by the apostles. And the apostles, in turn, with what was given to the church, were generous toward the cause of the gospel. I shared in our first service, as I was studying this passage and as I was thinking about it, I thought about Riverstone Church. And I thought about the generosity of many people as this church has uh, gotten on its feet or is getting on its feet. And as I thought about the generosity, I thought about our very first service out on Fifth Street at the Holiday Inn. Someone took up the expense and donated for us to be able to hold our first service out there. When we moved over to the fire hall in Earliesville, someone donated to cover the rent that was required for us to rent the fire hall in Earliesville. When we needed chairs to sit in, those chairs were donated. The sound system that's being projected this morning, most of the components of it were donated by an individual who's part of this church and also by a church in Texas. Many of the construction supplies for this stage have been donated. Labor for the stage was donated. Electronics for the video work that we see to be able to project the message out to those who are listening online has been donated. Much of the church software to be able to track giving or to be able to put out a, a, um, a, a graphic or other things, much of that has been donated. This pulpit was donated. The cleaning, the, that you'll be able to sit in a clean sanctuary, that has been donated. The utilities for lights and water and those things, that has been donated. We don't have high grass because someone said, I don't, I don't attend your church, but I'm going to donate to cut the lawn this summer while you are here. God's people have been generous in a New Testament way to launch this church in Charlottesville. People have given of resources. People have given of time. People have made financial generous commitments to help get this church lifted off, and it is in the spirit that was there in the New Testament church as well. And what it is allowing us to do is to take of tithes and of offering and other things and to invest in the staffing and in the empowering of called ministers to do the work of ministry. It's allowing us to explore opportunities in other areas of our community where we can plant extension services or launch additional churches. We're already talking about prayer meetings. We're already talking about establishing other churches in other areas because we have the resources to be able to do that. It's allowed us to press in and to do evangelistic outreaches into communities. It's allowing us to support missionaries on the mission field. And this is what the New Testament church did. We often read through the scripture and we think, I wish I knew what it was like to be part of the New Testament church. The New Testament church lived with an open hand. And as you are here this morning, you are experiencing the benefits of the spirit of a New Testament church. Those who are part of this church you who have invested, you who have given. I did not ask you. I did not say, hey, can you give this? Can you give that? It was the Spirit of the Lord moving upon God's people to do what needed to be 
done. Many of you, like Barnabas, are all in for the Lord Jesus Christ. Barnabas recognized as he gave the gifting and position of those called by the Lord, and he took what he had and he gave it to the church for the leadership of the church to distribute accordingly. Again, he laid it at the apostles' feet. This is important, an important phrase that Luke gives to us. There's no hint that as Barnabas came and as he laid what he had at the apostles' feet, that it was for their personal enrichment, although it certainly helped care for their support. But it was for the use of the Christian community as a whole in order to advance the preaching and teaching message of the gospel. That is spirit-filled generosity. When you and I are moved upon by God's Spirit to do something for God's glory. But as we continue reading in this particular story, what we also see is whereas in Barnabas there was spirit-filled generosity, in Ananias and Sapphira there was spirit-filled dishonesty because they were filled by another spirit that wasn't the Holy Spirit. They were filled by a satanic spirit, and the satanic spirit inspires hypocrisy. This story is in contrast to the story of Barnabas. When you begin chapter 5, it begins with a transitional word. In mine, it says, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, to say it's connected to what was previous to this, what this story is in distinction to or is in contrast to what I have just shared with you. Ananias and Sapphira are different. Their spirit is different. Their activity is different than that of Barnabas. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they apparently saw what Barnabas did and what others had done, or they were selling possessions and they were bringing the money and they were laying it at the apostles' feet. And apparently, as we read the story, what we find out is that Ananias and Sapphira had a conversation that went something probably like this We have a plot of land. Let's sell that plot of land. We're going to tell them that we're going to give it all but we're in fact going to keep back some of it for ourselves. And we're going to use some of it for ourselves, but we're going to tell everyone that we're doing things just like Barnabas did them. And so that is exactly what they did. Whereas Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit and acted in generous character, Ananias and Sapphira were full of a satanic spirit or the satanic spirit and acted with deception. Peter asked Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. 
When we look at Acts chapter 4, we see the power of God coming down and filling God's people. And the immediate effect of that filling of God's people is that they were caring for one another. They were generous towards the cause of the gospel. They were bold in speaking the word of the Lord. And here in chapter 5, we see another type of filling, a filling. Why has Satan filled your heart, Ananias and Sapphira? to lie to the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. The enemy came and he tried to deceive Eve. He succeeded in deceiving Eve. Has God really said? This is how the enemy comes to you and me. We read the Word of the Lord and we think, well, that portion does not really apply to me. I don't really have to live like that. I don't really have to be generous like that. Has God really said? And what I would say to you is, if it's in the book, God has really said it. If it's in this text, then God has said it to you and me, and we're going to be responsible for it. When we read over in the book of Revelation, what we see in the end of the day is that there's going to be books that are opened. And I think some of those books that are going to be opened in the end, in the last times, and in the end of days are the books that say, did you walk according to the spirit of the scriptures? This is my word that I have given to you. The word of the Lord tells us that these scriptures are God-breathed. He breathed them into existence. And you and I ought not just take an opportunity to look into them on Sunday morning. We ought not just open the Bible on Sunday morning. Lord, forgive me for not looking at it the rest of the week. Help me to do a little better, and then the next week do the same thing over again. Because I believe what happens in those times is that we give an opportunity for the enemy to tempt us away. Now, whether Ananias and Sapphira were believers at any rate, at any point, I have no idea. The Scripture doesn't give us an understanding of that. But what I do know is that they were counted among the believers... They seem to be among the church. What I do know is that they seem to be in part of the community of faith, and they were trying to look like they were doing what the church was doing otherwise, moved by the Spirit of the Lord. Ananias and Sapphira, they desired affiliation with the church community, but they were not willing to make the complete sacrifice. They wanted to be seen as all in, but were unwilling to participate in what being all, what being all in required. The Lord is not satisfied with just a little bit of you. The Lord is not satisfied with you saying, Jesus one day and looking to the ways of the world and living in the ways of the world throughout the rest of the week. He's not satisfied with you and me just being satisfied with a menial existence that never sees the power of God or the fire of God break in upon us. And oftentimes that is because what we do, and I'm speaking of preachers here too, is that we become lethargic in our faith. 
we begin to look at the ways of the world, and never is that more prevalent than today. You pull out your phone, many of you are on social media, I'm on social media, you begin to scan through, and what you begin to see is how much the whole rest of the world has so many better things than what you have. How they have a better lifestyle, there are, uh, the, the, the word is social media influencers. Social media influencers will go and rent fancy hotels or actually rent fancy planes or go to exotic locations and snap themselves on there so they can click likes and get ad revenue. And what they are trying to do is saying, you should be like me. And what the rest of us wonder when we see these influencers on social media, we wonder, what is your job? How in the world do you have the resources to be able to do these things? What I want you to understand is that the majority of that is a facade. It is fake. It is not real. And what you're doing is comparing yourself to someone who is not real. It is virtual. When you turn on a movie and you watch a movie and you see how someone lives and you see how husbands and wives interact with one another and how dads interact with their kids and in the movies it seems, oh, that's nice and wonderful, and you try to mimic that in your home, it does doesn't work because it gets messy and it gets difficult and it gets challenging at times. And what we try to think is, why doesn't my life match what Hollywood or what the world portrays? And we try to solve it with the means of the world instead of solving it by the means of the Scripture. Husbands, do you want to fuss at your wife? And we'll go back to the Scripture in Ephesians 5. What did, what did Jesus do? He washes the church like the husbands should wash their wives in the water of the word. <laughs> but we want to get off track, brothers, and we want to sit and we want to say, why does she not do it like this? Why does she not act? like this? Why does she not clean it like this? Why does she not organize it like this? Why can't she get the kids together? Why are they fussing all the time? Why are they not in line? I know how it goes. I've got seven kids. I know how it goes when it gets to be bedtime. I'm finding something spiritual to do. But what we ought to do in those moments, brothers, is we ought to begin to take the Word, and we ought to begin to read the Word over our lives, wash them in the water of the Word. And you know, as you're washing someone, you get wet. Did you ever notice that? When I sit on the tub side, at the times when I'm washing one of my little ones and giving them a bath, you know what? I get wet too. I get wet too. My clothes get wet. The floor gets wet. I get almost washed too. And so as you're washing, you're being washed. But oftentimes we don't go to the Word because we want it to look like the world's picture. 
And what happens when we go to the world instead of the scriptures is we allow a foothold for the enemy in our lives. Instead of filling ourselves up with the spirit of God's word and reading God's word and being in God's word and speaking God's word over one another, we look to the world, we long after the world, we desire the world, and it gives a foothold in our life for the enemy to distract us away from what God desires. I believe that if Ananias and Sapphira lived in our day, they would have been looking at the social media influencers rather than listening to the Word of the Lord. They were trying to seem like they were all in when, in fact, they weren't in at all. And it isn't the fact that they didn't give everything. Peter explains that. Wasn't yours, wasn't it yours to do with what you wanted while it was still in your hand? Why did you try to lie and say you're giving everything when you're simply straddling the fence? True sacrifice in the kingdom separates the sheep from the goats. See, while Satan was certainly instrumental in this situation, while Satan was certainly instrumental in his deception, Ananias and Sapphira were culpable too. They were responsible for allowing Satan to fill their heart. They were responsible for allowing Satan to draw their attention away. And you and I are responsible as well. The enemy has had a long time to observe human behavior. I don't believe that he's all-knowing. I don't believe he knows everything that's going to happen, is happening, will happen. But what I do believe is that he is an astute believer of humans. He's been around a long time, and he has seen how we react. He has seen our enticements. And Satan's battle is not against you. You are simply collateral damage. You're simply collateral damage because his battle against, is against the Lord. And what his desire is, is to destroy and deceive you because you bear the image of God. That's his desire, is that he would destroy you, deceive you, because you bear the image of the Lord. This passage of Scripture is connected to an Old Testament passage, which you may be fairly uh, familiar with, but it involves the sin of Achan. The Israelites had crossed over the Jordan into the promised land, and as they were entering into the promised land, the city of Jericho was ahead of them, and God told them how to conquer Jericho, and one of the things that the Lord did was he banned them from taking any of the gold or silver or precious things out of Jericho. None of that was to be taken. It was all to be dedicated unto the Lord. And so there was one man whose name was Achan, and Achan, who was an Israelite, he went and instead of doing what God had commanded, he took some of the gold and some of the things and he 
hid them in his tent. And no one knew about what was going on except for the Lord. And the next battle after Jericho was conquered, the next battle was the battle of Ai. And the battle of Ai came along and Israel went into battle. They went to fight and they thought everything at Jericho just went wonderful and God did it and God's going to do it again here at Ai. And what happens? They are sorely defeated. And Joshua says, what in the world is this? What has happened? And come to find out, God tells him, shake yourself off. There is sin in the camp, and it must be dealt with. And tribe by tribe, line by line, family by family, person by person, they walk in front of Joshua, and Achan is taken, and he tells the sin that he commits. The story's in Joshua chapter 7. He coveted some of the plunder, and he hid it in his tent. And Achan and all that he had was destroyed because of this sin. And it was certainly in the minds of those who saw what was going on with Ananias and Sapphira. There is very similar language in the text that is used of both incidents. Achan was deceptive, exactly like Ananias and Sapphira were deceptive. Satan motivated them to seek the accolade of men rather than the affirmation of God. You know, when I went through that list of people who have given so generously to the church, do you know what no one has asked for is a plaque? No one has said, will you just write my name on that so that people know that I gave that? Or put a plaque up that says, uh, this is my name, you know, we, we get, no one's asked to have a room named after them. No one's asked for any of those things because I believe that those who were giving were giving because they just love Jesus so much and they want Jesus to get all the glory. They want Jesus to be exalted. They want Jesus to be praised. And yes, we should give honor where honor is due and we should affirm from time to time. But if that's our heart, if it's our heart to give because we might get back an accolade, we come under the condemnation that Jesus pronounced on the religious leaders in John chapter 12 and verse 43, that they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And we will be a church that loves the praise of God more than the praise of men. Our hearts will be after the Lord to such an extent that everything that we do, everything that we give out of generosity, every way that we live with an open hand will be done to the praise of God. Here's the biblical irony, that as the church was being generous, and imagine what was happening. People were putting in their gold or their silver or their trinkets or whatever it was, and it was all being laid in the same spot time and time and time again. They were giving it at the feet of the apostles. It says everyone's was together. You couldn't go back probably and separate it out and get it back in the right hands because it had all been given together for God's Glory, no one seeking the praise of men, all seeking the praise of God. 
But the biblical irony here is what the Scripture tells us, is that when Ananias and Sapphira were confronted with their sin, what they loved the most themselves fell at the feet of the apostles. What they treasured most became their sacrifice. You and I must see and understand that in order for us to not be tempted away, we must continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe that God does a work in us at salvation. Yes, I believe it is a work of the Spirit. Yes, I believe that the Spirit draws us and calls us to salvation. I also believe that there is a second definitive work of the Holy Spirit in us. And I believe that the Spirit baptizes us by His grace and by His mercy. And as I read through the book of Acts and as I read through Scripture, what we find is that is not simply a one-time event, that I've got that down and I can keep on walking. What you and I must continue to seek after is a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. Yes, you can be saved. Yes, you can be sanctified, but you must continually be filled with the Spirit of the Lord. And finally, what we must pray for as a congregation, and this involves all of us, I believe, is the spirit that was upon Peter during this time. Peter had a spirit of discernment. It is something that the Lord has put in my heart for some time now for our church and just to pray for him and to seek after him for is that he would give a spirit of discernment to God's people that he would pray and that, that we would pray and that God would bless within our congregation people to have a spirit of discernment to know what is going on, to know what is happening in people's lives. In this case, Peter had a spirit of discernment, and it created a, a great sense of fear within the church because of the consequence of what happened. But I believe there is also a spirit of discernment where God can move upon certain people and they can go to others who are struggling with sin or think it's secret or think it's under the table and God can confront that person through someone who has a spirit of discernment to be gracious, to draw them back into the kingdom, to call them back to biblical faithfulness. I also believe that the Lord moves upon people in a prophetic way. What we don't find in this scenario, in this story, is Peter pronouncing a curse upon Ananias and Sapphira that they would die. Peter is not cursing them that they would die, but Peter is prophetically foretelling what is going to happen to them by the hand of God. And we need that sense of prophetic understanding in our church. You see, there are some who may want you to believe that the person in the pulpit knows everything that's going on. That couldn't be farther from the truth. 
has all the spiritual gifts, couldn't be farther from the truth. God has gifted you. You are here this morning. You're hearing this message by the grace of God. God is calling you to be a person of prayer. Some of you, he has gifted with that spirit of discernment to understand what is going on in the ethos of the world around us, but also what is going on within someone's life, to be a person who can speak life into other people. There are some of you that God has gifted with that prophetic calling to be able to have a word of revelation or wisdom from God that speaks in a moment and calls things as they are. And we must pray that these gifts are operational within our church. When we look at Acts, the end of chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 5, it can seem like a sad story to us. And it is sad for Ananias and Sapphira. But what it is, is glorious for the church that the gifts are in operation, that there is discipline that is taking place within the body of those believers in order to rout out sin. Because fear came over the whole church, and indeed it would. If we were to see something like this happen in our day, we would all make sure we were here at prayer meeting tonight, (laughs) repenting and seeking after the Lord and crying out, oh, no, God, not me. And I'd stay here all afternoon just doing that. Ananias and Sapphira, their sin was exposed to the entire church. They lied to the entire church, so their sin was exposed. It caused the entire church to realize that God was serious about the gospel message. And you know, when I think about today, and when I mean today, not, not just this day, but what is going on in our day, you know, some of you have said a few Saturdays ago, when uh, we kind of went through some of the good things that God has done in bringing Riverstone together in such a short amount of time. I wonder what would happen if we recounted just since January 1st of this year to now the things that have been going on in our world. And if we just started to list them off and we just started to think about all of the things that are going on in our world. And if we were to see all these things that are going on in our world, and we were to simply say, hmm, that's life. That's just the way it goes. Some years are better than others. I think we'd be very far off the mark. But I do believe that God tells us that there are seasons of time. There are seasons of time where God speaks to us through the things that are going on in the world around us, and I believe this is one of those times. And this is why I believe for this church that God must raise up people who are discerning, people who are prophetic, people who are empowered with the spiritual gifts in order to lead us through what is going to happen. I remember a brother that I had the opportunity uh, to visit in Liberia. And uh, Liberia was in civil war. 
uh, for a long period of time. And this brother took his church, like almost like a modern-day Moses, from what I can recall, and led them into other countries in order to get away from the violence and the difficulty that was going on in his own. And the church followed him. I believe that we are entering a season of time where we must have people who are gifted with the Spirit of God, who have the giftings, who live them out, who are faithful in them within the church in order to lead God's people through these turbulent seasons of life. So as we stand together, I'm going to ask you to pray. First of all, uh, again, I want to offer an opportunity. If you do not know the Lord this morning, uh, we always want to give that opportunity for you. It's nothing to be ashamed of or afraid of. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Today, right now. Right now. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know if you know Jesus. You think maybe I do? I'm not sure. Maybe you made a confession uh, sometime in the past, but you're not sure if uh, you are saved before the Lord. What we want to say to you is come and let people pray with you. Let people pray with you. Let people counsel you and give you wisdom from the word of the Lord that you can walk away from here in confidence of God's grace for you. We want to give you that opportunity. But what I would like to ask the rest of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to do is to pray. Pray for our church and pray for other churches. Pray that the gifts of the Spirit would be at work in God's people. Pray that us, like Peter, would have the gift of discernment and the prophetic gifts and the gift of generosity and the other things that we would be generous towards the cause of Christ, that we would operate in a spirit of discernment, that there would be those who would have prophetic utterances in our midst, that the church would know what we are to do, that we would know when we are to go out and when we are to stay in, that we would know, thus saith the Lord. It is important for us. It is important for us as a group of believers to pray that God would gift his people and that people would operate in their giftedness for his glory and the good of his church. If you keep reading through the book of Acts, what we see is a church that encountered challenges, a church that encountered difficulties, but a church that was listening to the voice of the Lord. We must be that type of people. We must be that type of people. And to be that type of people, we must pray.